Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I want to thank you for listening. We have on this site over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can now go to Google Play Store and Apple Store and download the Church One app for sermon audio and enter Hackberry House, if you will. My books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Studying, reading the life of John G. Patton. John G. Patton. This is chapter 5. It's called Leaving the Old Home. Before going to my first harvesting, I had applied for a situation in Glasgow, apparently exactly suited for my case but I had little or no hope of ever hearing of it further. An offer of fifty pounds per year was made by the West Campbell Street Reformed Presbyterian Congregation, then under the good and noble Dr. Bates, for a young man to act as district visitor and tract distributor, especially amongst the absentees from the Sabbath school, with the privilege of receiving one year's training at the Free Church Normal Seminary, that he might qualify himself for teaching and thereby push forward to the holy ministry. The candidates, along with their application and certificates, were to send an essay on some subject of their own composition and in their own handwriting. I sent in two long poems on the Covenanters, which must have exceedingly amused them as I had not learned to write even decent prose. But, much to my surprise, immediately on the close of the harvesting experience, a letter arrived, intimating that I, along with another young man, had been put upon the short list and and that both were requested to appear in Glasgow on a given day and compete for the appointment. Two days thereafter, I started out from my quiet country home on the road to Glasgow, literally on the road for from Tortherwald to Kimmelrnach, about uh, 40 miles, had to be done on foot, and thence to Glasgow by rail. Railways in those days were as yet few, and coach traveling was far beyond my purse. A small bundle contained my Bible and all my personal belongings. Thus was I launched upon the ocean of life. I thought on one who says, I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way, His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday, and tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence, my father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks of which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. 
Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and I, I saw him, still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I was around the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me farther, so I, I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then, rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him, and just at that moment I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and, and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form fame faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, I vowed deeply and oft, by the help of God, to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father when we parted, his advice, prayers, and tears, the road, the dike, the climbing up on it, and then walking away, head uncovered, have often, often, all through life, risen vividly before my mind, and do so now, while I am writing, as if it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years particularly, when <clears throat> exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me, as that of a guardian angel. Chapter 6. Early Struggles I reached Glasgow on the third day, having slept one night at Thornhill and another at New Cumnock, and having needed, uh, owing to the kindness of acquaintances upon whom I called by the way, to spend only three halfpence of my modest funds. Safely arrived, but weary, I secured a humble room for my lodging, for which I had to pay one shilling and sixpence per week. Buoyant and full of hope and looking up to God for guidance, I appeared at the appointed hour before the examiners, as did also the other candidate, and they, having carefully gone through their work, asked us to retire. When recalled, they informed us that they had great difficulty in choosing and suggested that the one of us might withdraw in favor of the other, or that both might submit to a more testing examination. Neither seemed inclined to give it up. Both were willing for a second examination, but the patrons made another suggestion. They had only fifty pounds per annum to give, but if we would agree to divide it betwixt us and go into one lodging, we might both be able to struggle through. They would pay our entrance fees at the free normal seminary and provide us with the books required. Perhaps they might be able to add a little to the sum promised to each of us. By dividing the mission work appointed and each taking only the half, more time also might be secured for our studies. Though the two candidates had never seen each other before, we at once accepted this proposal and got on famously together never having had a dispute on anything of common interest throughout our whole career. As our fellow students at the normal were all far advanced beyond us in their education, we found it killing work 
and had to grind away incessantly, late and early. Both of us, before the year closed, broke down in health, partly by hard study, but principally, perhaps, for lack of nourishing diet. A severe cough seized upon me. I began spitting blood, and a doctor ordered me at once home to the country and forbade all attempts at study. My heart sank. It was a dreadful disappointment, and to me a bitter trial. Soon after, my companion, though apparently much stronger than I, was similarly seized. He, however, never entirely recovered, though for some years he taught in a humble school. Long ago, he fell asleep in Jesus, a devoted and honored Christian man. I, on the other hand, after a short rest, nourished by the hill air of Tortherwald, and by the new milk of our family cow, was ere long at work again. Renting a house, I began to teach a small school at Girvan, and gradually but completely recovered my health. Having saved ten pounds by my teaching, I returned to Glasgow, and was enrolled as a student at the college. But before the session was finished, my money was exhausted. I had lent some to a poor student, who failed to repay me, and only nine shillings remained in my purse. There was no one from whom to borrow, had I been willing. I had been disappointed in attempting to secure private tuition, and no course seemed open for me except to pay what little I owed, give up my college career, and seek for teaching or other work in the country. I wrote a letter to my father and mother informing them of my circumstances, that I was leaving Glasgow in quest of work, and that they would not hear from me again till I had found a suitable situation. I told them that if otherwise unsuccessful, I should fall back on my own trade, though I shrank from that as not tending to advance my education, but that they might rest assured I would do nothing to dishonor them or my own Christian profession. Having read that letter over again through many tears, I said, I cannot send that, for it will grieve my darling parents. And therefore, leaving it on the table, I locked my room door and ran out to find a place where I might sell my precious books and hold on a few weeks longer. But as I stood on the opposite side and wondered whether these folks in a shop with the three golden balls would, would care to have a poor student's books, and as I hesitated, knowing how much I needed them for my studies, conscience smote me, as if for doing a guilty thing. I imagined that the people were watching me like one about to commit a theft, and I made off from the scene at full speed, with a feeling of intense shame at having dreamed of such a thing. Passing through one short street into another, I marched on mechanically, but the Lord God of my Father was guiding my steps, all unknown to me, a certain notice in a window into which I had probably never in my life looked before here caught my eye to this effect. Teacher wanted. Mary Hill Free Church School. Apply at the manse. A coach or bus was just passing when I turned around. I leaped into it, saw the minister, arranged to undertake the school, returned to Glasgow, paid my landlady's lodging score, tore up that letter to my parents, and wrote another full of cheer and hope, and early next morning entered the school and began a tough and trying job. The minister warned me that the school was a wreck and had been 
broken up chiefly by coarse and bad characters from mills and coal pits who attended the evening classes. They had abused several masters in succession, and laying a thick and heavy cane on the desk, he said, Use that freely, or you will never keep order here. I put it aside into the drawer of my desk, saying, That will be my last resource. There were very few scholars for the first week, about 18 in the day school and 20 in the night school. The clerk of the mill, a good young fellow, came to the evening classes, avowedly to learn bookkeeping, but privately he said he had come to save me from personal injury. The following week, a young man and a young woman began to attend the night school, who showed from the first moment that they were bent on mischief. On my repeated appeals for quiet and order, they became the more boisterous and gave great merriment to a few of the scholars present. I finally urged the young man, a tall, powerful fellow, to be quiet or at once to leave, declaring that at all hazards I must and would have perfect order, but he only mocked at me and assumed a fighting attitude. Quietly locking the door and putting the key in my pocket, I turned to my desk, armed myself with the cane, and dared anyone at his peril to interfere betwixt us. Oh, it was a rough struggle. He smashing at me clumsily with his fists, I with quick movements evading and dealing him blow after blow with the heavy cane for several rounds, until at length he crouched down at his desk, exhausted and beaten. And I'd ordered him to turn to his book, which he did in sulky silence. Going to my desk, I addressed them and asked them to inform all who wished to come to the school, and that if they came for education, everything would be heartily done that it was in my power to do, but that any who wished for mischief had better stay away, as I was determined to conquer, not to be conquered, and to secure order and silence, whatever it might cost. Further, I assured them that that cane would not again be lifted by me if kindness and forbearance on my part could possibly gain the day, as I wished to rule by love and not by terror. But this young man knew he was in the wrong, and it was that which had made him weak against me, though every way stronger far than I. Yet I would be his friend and helper if he was willing to be friendly with me, the same as if this night had never been. At these words, a dead silence fell on the school. Everyone buried, faced diligently in book, and the evening closed in uncommon quiet and order. The attendance grew till the school became crowded, both during the day and at night. During the midday hour, even, I had a large class of young women who came to improve themselves in writing and arithmetic. By and by, the cane became a forgotten implement. The sorrow and pain which I showed as to badly done lessons or anything blameworthy proved the far more effectual penalty. The school committee had promised me at least ten shillings per week and guaranteed to make up any deficit if the fees fell short of that sum. But if the income from fees exceeded that sum, all was to be mine. Affairs went on prosperously for a season, indeed too much so for my selfish interest. The committee took advantage of the large attendance and better repute of the school to secure the services of a master of the highest grade. 
The parents of many of the children offered to take and seat a hall if I would remain, but I knew too well that I had neither education nor experience to compete with an accomplished teacher. Their children, however, got up a testimonial and subscription, which was presented to me on the day before I left. This I valued chiefly because the presentation was made by the young fellows who had first behaved so badly, but were now my devoted friends. Once more I committed my future to the Lord God of my Father, assured that in my heart I was willing and anxious to serve Him and to follow the blessed Savior, yet feeling keenly that intense darkness had again enclosed my path. Next time, chapter 7, a city missionary, a city missionary. Thank you so much for being here. Do hope you come back and finish this story with me, although it's going to be a while before we finish it. But do come back for the next episode. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.